You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Let me take you back one year to about February, back when a semiconductor shortage helped shut down the world's production of new cars. It's been months, and you still can't buy a PlayStation Five. And now the world is running out of chips because companies can't make them fast enough. Can you put your arms around how big a problem the shortage of semiconductors is right now? And now there aren't enough of them getting made—a massive global shortage. And Foxconn says that it might have part issues until 2022. Suddenly, we found out that everything in our modern life needs semiconductors: semiconductors in your car for interior lighting, to adjust the seats. For the camera to see behind you when you're trying to park, and then inside your home for your entertainment system and every internet-enabled device in your kitchen, lounge room, laundry, and bedroom, and of course the handheld device you're probably using to listen to me as I speak right now. But now it's not so much a case of where to get semiconductor chips from; it's about who gets to make them, and who gets access to the newest, fastest ones. It's a contest about who can access the technology to make semiconductors, and who gets to use processes that push the laws of physics to the very limits of human knowledge to unlock new capabilities in technology, allowing for the continuing development of everything from self-driving vehicles to Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and the metaverse. Welcome to the Inside China podcast. My name is Xin Meishen. I'm a technology reporter at the South China Morning Post here in Hong Kong. Right now, we're witnessing a revolution in semiconductor technology. It's a three nanometer chip, and it's now in production. This year's new model iPhones and iPads are all going to have this new chip. But if you think it's just about something designed in Silicon Valley in California being assembled in Shenzhen or Zhengzhou in mainland China, let me tell you how this particular chip gets made. The chip gets printed by a machine that's a bit bigger than your average bus. This machine is so specialized, so advanced. It's made by just one company in the world, a Dutch company called ASML. Which assembles its machines in the Netherlands from components made in 60 locations around the world. The actual materials to make the chip come from one of two companies responsible for roughly 70% of the world's supply. That's Shinetsu Chemical and Sumco, both of them based in Japan. And only one factory in the world makes three nanometer chips. That's in Shinetsu Science Park in northern Taiwan. There are two companies in this park, and between them. They are the dominant providers of chips to the world, and one of them is TSMC, who, along with Samsung in South Korea, are the world's only source of three nanometer chips made in their fab. That's right, a fab, F-A-B, a semiconductor fabrication plant, a place where silicon wafers are turned into integrated circuits. Now, remember that word fab. It's important because at the moment, most of the world's big tech companies are fabless. That's including Apple, Google, and of course China's big tech companies. These three nanometer chips go from the fab in Shinzhou Science Park to one of twelve factories in nine cities across mainland China, but most probably a place otherwise known as iPhone City in Zhengzhou Technology Park in Henan Province. But these factories are operated by Foxconn, based in Tucheng in New Taipei City, Taiwan. 
And of course, all of this is contracted out by Apple based in Silicon Valley in California, so they can sell the next edition iPhones and iPads in stores around the world. There are fabs run by Samsung in South Korea. There are fabs in Japan, India, Israel, Ireland, and Singapore. And there are fab plants in mainland China operated by the Semiconductor Manufacturing Industry Corporation, otherwise known as SMIC. There are fabs in the USA owned by Intel and Texas Instruments, as well as a new one for TSMC being built in Arizona. But there's no one who can build the chips as fast, as good, as small as TSMC in Taiwan. And SMIC in mainland China is a long way behind. And not only does the U.S. want to keep it that way, it wants the rest of the world to help. In 2020, the U.S. launched the first of its sanctions against SMIC. And now that the global semiconductor shortage seems to be over, the U.S. has reviewed its new strategy to maintain global dominance in semiconductor technology. U.S. President Joe Biden has just announced 53 billion U.S. dollars of taxpayers' money is being handed to the U.S. tech industry so that it can build more fabs and spend billions on research to catch up with TSMC and Samsung. But there's a catch. At the same time, the U.S. has also banned the export of technologies crucial to making three nanometer chips. And even though no specific country is named in the bands, everyone understands who it's aimed at. The chips are down. But can Beijing figure a way out? You're going to hear from my colleague Chiu Pan in Beijing. He's a specialist in China's semiconductor industry, and he's been closely following the developments, not just in China's tech industry, as well as talking to Chinese analysts and technology experts who have been watching the announcements of the CHIPS Act in the USA. Chiu, could you help us understand why there's this emphasis on three nanometer chips? Um, what do they do that's better than previous chips with larger sizes? And why are they in such huge demand? In chip design, when we uh, say nanometers, it refers to the length of a transistor gate. So the smaller the gate, the more proce- processing power they can pack into a given space. The world need a more and more powerful chips, which can handle uh billions of million computation per second. So that's why that uh, uh, the three nanometers is what we need and what all the industry is looking for after this five nanometers now, which is in uh, mass production. So the three nanometer chips, did the production for them only start this year? Uh, I mean, who's making them and who are buying them? Right now is that the Samsung claim, Samsung Electronics claim that it's already using three nanometers in chip producing chips, but TSMC actually is still uh, developing this technology. And uh, TSMC said that we'll bring this technology uh, into the chip uh, productions maybe this year or the next year. Customer-wise, basically, uh, who actually need this cutting-edge technology is all the American fabulous companies like uh, Apple and Qualcomm. So they need the cutting-edge technology to make the best chip for their best product. So when we talk about fabulous foundries, what, what exactly are we talking about? Fabulous is a jargony word in the semiconductor uh, you know, industry. It just means that uh, a company that design a chip rather than uh, making a chip. So the ch- semiconductor industry is a huge industry. It, um, but in a nutshell, it has three uh, subsectors, which is design, uh, first, you design the chip, then you make the chip. And today, the uh, biggest chip manufacturing base actually is in Asia. 
the biggest player TSMC from Taiwan and Samsung Electronics from South Korea. And also there are SMIC, you know, Chinese SMIC uh, in mainland China. And then you have the large sta uh, uh, stage of this chip, you know, supply chain uh, is chip packaging and the testing. That part actually is not really high tech. So uh, the most uh, difficult part is chip design and chip manufacturing. There has been a lot of attention on Joe Biden's announcement of the Chips and Science Act for what it does for American tech companies. But tell us, what does it mean for Chinese companies? Yeah, the Chip and Science Act actually is really a big thing all around the world, including, of course, China, because uh, in the White House uh, factions about this uh, passage of this Chip Act, it has the counter China in their headline. This really has um, produced a huge interest and discussion in China's semiconductor industry. One uh, immediate impact is that any uh, company who will take the subsidies from the U.S. will think twice before they invest in China. Because in the uh, Chip Act, it was made very clearly that all the companies, all the founders, which actually receive funds from the U.S. government, are not allowed to build any new capacities and expand uh, existing capacities better than 28 nanometers. That means the, uh, it's, it's not only the CHIPEX and combining with other US moves, it's very clear for us that what goals US wants to achieve, it's like they want to freeze China's chip making capacity at 28 nanometers. So in this way, it will be hard for China to continue uh, its technology progress, you know, beyond 40 nanometers. And uh, it will draw the um, chip making supply chain back to the U.S. So the U.S. wants to freeze China's 28 nanometer chip production abilities. What does that mean? What are the differences here? You know, how are 28 nanometers used? Right. I, I think that I want to point out that the one biggest misunderstanding about 28 nanometers is that it's, uh, you know, um, outdated. No, it's not. If you look at the European market, there isn't any 28 nanometers fab or, you know, maybe there's one or two, but 28 nanometers capacity actually is a sweet spot in China. It can allow you to make a lot of applications. For example, the chips using use our home speakers, using our headphones, and even for some uh, you know low-end budget phones, it can cover. Of course, um, today that China's most uh, advanced process is not 28 nanometers. SMIC has already been reported to be able to produce seven nanometer chips. But that's, you know, SMIC said nothing about it and SMIC refused to comment on it. So let's say that uh, from the official information, SMIC can already make uh, 40 nanometers. So the 40 nanometers actually is already been put into smartphones. Like the uh, first generation of owner phones, actually they use SMIC's 40 nanometers. But if China's ability are phrased as 40 nanometers, that means that we cannot progress for others, you know, TSMC and Samsung, they continue to improve to maybe two or one nanometer. So that means that our, um, you know, a gap between them will be larger. So before, in, in the past years, the technology gaps between SMIC and uh, TSMC, we say, it's like four generations. So if China is phrased at this current now, but the others continue to move on. So that means that there will be a larger technology gap between our foundry and their foundries. 
So if the U.S., Japan, and the Netherlands are dominating the tools and the materials, how did the world's most famous foundry ended up basing in Taiwan? That's a very uh, good question. Uh, actually, Taiwan uh, hasn't become the world top manufacturing base in one day. There was a saying in Taiwan: "It's like uh, tens of thousands use uh, work day hard day and night to save Taiwan to have TSMC." So TMSMC actually have a very, um, if you say, uh, uh, 996 working uh, regiment. Their their jobs was harsh um, because last year we saw a report from a U.S. Uh, engineer who actually received some training in Taiwan. And he said that uh, these engineers, they don't leave uh, their foundries. They be there like uh, 40 hours per day. So it's very different from the, uh, you know, work culture in the U.S. Uh, you mentioned the 996 work hour. So just clarify for our listeners in case they missed it. That's uh, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. How do Taiwanese people see TSMC? Taiwanese people actually uh, call TMSC the shield of the realm. So it's very serious business. They think that actually because of TMFC, existing of TMFC, then Taiwan is actually protected economically because you see TMFC, but also there's a huge industry behind this, you know, the IC industries, manufacturing, everything. Now, could you take us through what China has been doing to catch up and become self-reliant in the manufacturing of semiconductors, particularly SMIC? Or as some people call SMIC? SMIC actually uh, has been uh, founded by uh, someone from Taiwan as well, you know. Uh, and also that uh, along the way, it has been um, directed or, you know, helped by a lot of Taiwanese engineers. You know, the most famous one, uh, Liang Mengsong and Jiang Shangyi. Actually, if, if we talk about self-reliance uh, or this world or this term, um, I think that people has been talking about it, use it since only uh, 2018, I think. So before it's like, of course, we want to develop our uh, industry, but we didn't think that self-reliance is a, is a goal. So a lot of Taiwanese uh, engineers, they came to uh, mainland China for higher salary. That's that's true, you know. And uh, I know some guy who actually sold his uh, house in Taiwan to buy into shares of his current companies, which is a supplier of SMIC. And he thinks that in the five years' time, his company is going to be listed in on Shanghai star market and his wealth is going to be, you know, double or maybe tripled. And... Uh, these people came to China, but their, their help, actually, the goal of their help is to help China to build a strong semiconductor industry. But I think they didn't receive a task of building a semiconductor completely, you know, free from the uh, imported technology, because that's a different, a very different thing. So today is that if you look at the Chinese uh, semiconductor manufacturing and, of course, design, we have made huge uh, progresses, you know, since, you know, maybe 2014 or 2015. And this because Chinese government, of course, put a lot of money into it. With this amount of government support and a lot, lot of private money pouring in, tell us where is it actually at today? What's its status? Mm, uh, if we uh, talk about chip manufacturing, actually, it's quite advanced, you know, if Seven nanometers, uh, there isn't a lot of uh, foundries around the world who is capable of doing this. But there's a caveat, which is that they achieved this 
by using American technology, by using foreign equipment. And also uh, in the chip design area, we, we haven't been able to come up with a EDA software provider. So if you ask me, of course, we progress, but underlying technology, we uh, rely on foreign technology. That's the, that's the big picture. So the U.S. narrative is that it is building up capacity to compete with China in the semiconductor race. Um, what does the reality look like to you? Yeah, I think that the U.S. said this and they said out-compete China. Actually, it's one out-compete China. But the reality is that it has always out-competed China in the semiconductors. And if you look at the, uh, the uh, soft, uh, EDA software, because we have the report several days ago, which saying that U.S. actually is targeting EDA software, you know, considering to add it to the new sanctions against China. Then a lot of people told me then we are screwed because um, there's no uh, substitutes in China for EDA software. Definitely not. Sorry, just one sec. Could you quickly explain EDA to us? EDA actually software, they are very important for the chip designs. So, uh, every chip, you know, go into our computers, smartphones, they have to be designed by using EDA software. More than 90% of Chinese companies, as far as I'm concerned, use US EDA software to design their chips. No matter what types of chips, they use it. And of course, this is not only Chinese companies, Korean companies, Japanese companies, Taiwanese companies, all the same. Yeah, everybody says it's a race, but from where you stand, what the, what is the reality? Taekwo race, you know, all these words that we have been using that I think that uh, if this is a race that the uh, U.S. has already, uh, you know, been ahead of us, you know, and in terms of semiconductors, uh, they have, uh, you know, dominance in the um, industrial upstream supply, supply chain. And now they want to build more chip making capacities, you know, to draw all these big foundries back to the U.S., they will be more stronger than, you know, their current status. And But if you look at the, uh, you know, the really big picture, except Huawei, who actually is barred from buying uh, chips, uh, which contains U.S. technology, all the uh, other Chinese smartphone makers like Xiaomi and uh, Oppo, Vivo, they're afraid to buy Qualcomm chips, right? And also, uh, there isn't any buy on the uh, consumer sales, like Apple, you know, uh, making big sales in China, no matter what type of their products. I really think that U.S. is targeting China's underlying capability, not the, uh, you know, consumer market. And more important things that you didn't say that Chinese semiconductor design company cannot use Intel for making the chips. You can design it and you can ask our founder to do it. And then the um, the supply chain is in our side. But this is, you know, purely from a technology point of view. So the politics, I'm not yet an expert. I think that U.S. still uh, value China's market. You know, they, uh, of course, their company make uh, big numbers here. So they, 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 they want to continue to sell all kinds of, you know, electronic products in China. But they want to, uh, you know, contain China's ability to provide his own industry of this, you know, fundamental technologies like semiconductors, because nowadays it goes into everything. Thank you so much, Chair. And we'll see your stories on scmp.com. Yes, thank you. It's very nice chat with you guys. Just before we go any further, let me update you on a couple of things that have happened as we put this podcast together. These are stories that are part of a much bigger story of this battle for dominance in semiconductors. And you'll find them reported and analyzed on scmp.com. Firstly, a scientist named Gang Chen 
born and initially educated in mainland China, now at MIT in Boston, has published a paper claiming he and his team have discovered a material known as cubic boron arsenide, which can conduct heat 10 times better than silicon. That has huge implications for the next generation of semiconductors in development. And elsewhere, the United Kingdom announced it was blocking the sale of a British company, which writes the software to design semiconductors to a company based in Hong Kong, but is owned by a parent company in Shanghai. And the US and Japan have announced they're collaborating to make a new fab, which is capable of making two nanometer semiconductors. It's due to start operating three years from now. Can they make the multi-billion dollar research and tech gamble and win? Only time will tell. There are so many angles and developments happening across the world in semiconductor research and semiconductor geopolitics that we can't squeeze into this one podcast. It's always best to keep in touch with our 24-hour news website at scmp.com or follow the tech team on Twitter at scmptech. So let's pick up on where we're at with the geopolitics of semiconductors. Let me bring in the tech desk editor here at the South China Morning Post, Josin. Josin, let's start with the political perspective of the CHIPS Act. Um, there's focus on how this helps American companies, but uh, what are the impacts on China? Oh, yes. Uh, this is uh, really, really big uh, because for China, this is almost like uh, uh, you know, a double, double confirmation that the United States is trying everything possible to contain China's technology rights. Uh, the chip, uh, Chips and the Science Act has been back and forth in uh, U.S. for quite a long period of time. And China has always made it very clear that you can develop your own uh, domestic industry. If you want to develop your own semiconductor industry, that's fine. The final version, you can read the headlines, it's all included China in the headlines in the, in the media reports. So, of course, China was very uh very angry about the political implications in this uh, in this bill, and as we all know, they're talking about uh, this new uh, chip four lines, and for China, this is basically an open plot to uh, sideline or to marginalize uh, China's role in future su- key supply chains, and this is a this is a very very um, bad for China's future development, and it also is a. Is almost a direct saying we, we don't like you we don't want you to participate in the future global supply chains this is a certainly a very bad thing for china that's why you can see the strong responses from chinese foreign ministry from the media from the industry mm-hmm. but as you mentioned like how this is going to help the american companies this is an open-end question i mean uh, we are not sure whether this, this really can help american companies remember the chips act is open for uh, taiwan and uh, south korea and other uh, chip companies as well. So are we going to say that Intel will necessarily beat uh, TSMC or Samsung in the future because of this bill? Uh, I mean, this is a, the, the jury is still out. You talked about this as an open plot. Um, could you unpack for us how this alliance of Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, and the U.S. in making semiconductors, how is it going to work exactly? Okay, so first of all, we have to say that this chip four lines is first kind of industrial uh, alliances based upon ideology uh, instead of uh, uh, market principles. In in, in the past, uh, China was uh, integrated into this value chains. We all know that the chips uh, are designed uh, in the United States and then made in South Korea and uh, Taiwan, and then shipped it to China and then processed into iPhones and then reshipped it to the rest of the world. 
So this, these are the based upon purely about uh, cost return, uh, efficiency, these kind of uh, economic terms. But this one is different. This one is based upon saying we share the same values. Okay, we uh, of free societies, uh, human rights, respect, uh, press freedom, etc. So this is a first of all, this is a, like a big, big change from the past, and this is a, something that China is not happy about. And then secondly, this is also the chip four lines with South Korea, Japan, and Taiwan. In all these three economies, are important trade partners for China. And China's role in the global economy or in the global supply chains, to a large extent, depends on its interactions and relations with these three markets. And also, when China sees the future of the world, there's one kind of unrealized division in China's. Uh, positioning of itself uh, uh, for the future's world is, you know, China can be a dominant player in Asia. The United States can be another bigger player in uh, in Americas, and then European Union will be one. So, like the world will be divided into basically three blocks. So the chip four is basically ruined uh, China's uh, remote kind of plan. And if China cannot get very close trade and investment relations with its close neighbors. So it would be really bad uh, for for China trying to become kind of uh, gravity center in, in East Asia. So for China, this is a, this is a really something that intolerable. Justin, what are you hearing from your um, political and industry sources in China about uh, the Chips Act and the Chip Four Alliance? Well, well, for this question, you don't need any sources because there are enough like coverage on the open media. So first, the reaction, of course, is very angry. There's lots of uh, condemnation. There are lots of opposition against this bill. And then uh, there are two different kind of uh, views. One, of course, is, uh, is we can say, like pessimistic uh, because it will certainly make more difficult for China to attract investments uh, from uh, the world's best companies and to attract the best technologies available in the world. And uh, as we can see that China has been trying so hard, but the progress is very, it's relatively slow. So we can say that the results are so far are mixed, but at least we can see in terms of areas that China can uh, make those so-called mature technologies. And China's uh, domestic output is growing very rapidly. So uh, SMIC, although it is still on our trade uh, blacklist, it has uh, may have uh, made technological breakthrough in making the seven nanometer grade chips. And this is a, this is something to show that, you know, it's not like a down deal, like uh, the American has this bill and the China's uh, semiconductor industry will stop developing. Uh, so I think in my personal view, I think the, the future market of semiconductors will be more fragmented, but there will be certainly a huge amount of the market in China that used to be dominated by uh, imported products will be replaced by domestic ones. So what does all this mean for China's ambition to become self-reliant uh, in semiconductors? Well, in a short answer is China will definitely be more determined to be self-reliant because there's no other choices, right? China can see that, you know, even if we, if we want to rely on the external supply, the supply is not at risk. So China has to double its efforts to do these kind of uh, um, home-developed technologies as re- replacement. For some, of course, China still is, uh, is, is working on itself, but these things usually takes time. And uh, we can see like, in some areas, China may be catch up relatively quickly, 
but in some areas, uh, China may still have to rely on uh, imported products. But this is this will be a process. And uh, as every, you know, the bill is is kind of like an interference of a very powerful government, the, U, the United States, into the the market based uh, supply chain. So there will be lots of uh, unintended consequences. We are going to see these kind of uh, consequences unfolding in front of us uh, in the coming years. Justin, what do you think of the view that the U.S. wants China to make the iPhones and MacBooks, and also wants to sell them back to China, but doesn't want China to have the knowledge?、Um, what's your take on this? Well, that's certainly a, a very popular、uh, concept in China. I mean, this is also、uh, the, the the thinking behind China's、uh, own industrial policies. You know, in the global. Uh, division of labor. China was、uh, since its reform and opening up has always been treating us、uh, as a factory floor, which means you know it's labor-intensive、uh, manufacturing. So the production, some parts of the production of iPhones and MacBooks in China,、uh, is because、uh, it's relatively cheap, it's efficient, and uh, uh, but China has to move up the value chain.、Uh, you know, you look at China's、uh, demographic changes, and you look at China's、uh, growing demand. Uh, you look at the ambitions of the young Chinese people. You know, China cannot stay as a as as a was it was factory. So the only path is、uh, is technology, is technological progress. So、uh, you know, with or without、uh, these kind of pressures from the United States, I think China's determination of、uh, making technology progress to move up the value chain there. So, Josie, what are you watching out for next in terms of reaction from Beijing about this Chips Act and the Chip Four Alliance?、Um, what are some of the possible formal response、uh, you think? Well, apart from these uh, uh, diplomatic efforts, as we have seen、uh, from Wang Yi and、uh, the South Korea Foreign Minister,、uh, I'm expecting more kind of.、Uh, Business-friendly policies from the Chinese government, you know, makes it more easier、uh, for、um, Samsung or SK Hynix to manage their plants in uh, uh, in China, and make it more、uh, easier for foreign chip designers, chip manufacturers、uh, to set up、uh, factories in in China.、Uh, remember, you know, the, if if、uh, the U.S. is uh, assigning fifty-two、uh, billion U.S. dollars, right, for the uh, uh, semiconductor manufacturers in,、uh, on American soil. And this is、uh, this is not something、uh, hard to do for for China. You know, if you can give subsidies to、uh, to 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 chip makers in the United States, China can、uh, China can do similar things. And in fact, you know, China is is pretty good in doing these kind of things. The U.S. is starting to learn some、uh, tricks from China's playbooks of industrial policy and planning, government subsidy. But remember, China has been doing this for years. Jiaxin, thanks for your time. Thank you, Xinmei. That's all for this week's episode of Inside China. There is so much more we couldn't fit in, and so much more happening about semiconductors. The best way to find out the whole story is to head to scmp.com for the latest news and analysis. It's great to be back in the studio here in Times Square in Hong Kong, and great to be back with you. Don't forget to follow the work of the SCMP Tech team on Twitter at SCMP Tech. I'm at S H E N X I N M E I. Keep that mask on. Get that booster shot. Stay safe and bye for now.